following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Uh, Looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the uh, challenges of the Sermon on the Mount, preaching through it is, uh, there's a lot there, and if we were to do the whole sermon all in one Sunday, it would take about seven hours, really. Um, and it's likely that Jesus, even though it's short here, that when Jesus gave it, what we get here is, is a summary, not the whole thing. And it could be that uh, his sermon lasted all day, and uh, we, we, we tend to want to break it down into smaller chunks. Uh, but it's important to know and see that this is one message, right? So it's a little dangerous to pull pieces of it out and, and disconnect it from its context, but we will try to do that as we go through it. Um, I don't know about you, but does anybody here, lo- uh, do you, any of you like writing reports, anybody? I, I don't, and, but it's kind of part of life and, uh, at uh, the Family Connection Foundation, which is the foundation that the church uh, oversees and that I am part of. Uh, at the end of each year, we have to write an annual report, and everybody just gets so excited about writing the annual report, right? Um, and they're just going, oh, can I write mine early, right? Um, but it is important, and it, we have to do this for legal reasons. We have to submit it to the government. But also, it's just, it's just good once in a while to ask the question, what did you accomplish last year? Like, what did you do? Uh, how did you make an impact in, in your, your work? Uh, did you make any difference in the world? Um, and, and I think it's good for organizations. It's good for us personally. And certainly, God created us with this uh, inbuilt desire to make a difference, right? Uh, we, we have this sense that our life uh, needs to have purpose and that we're not here just to plod along through life, breathing the air and eating food, that our purpose in life is not just to make more and more money so that we can be better consumers, <laughs> right? Although if you watch much advertising, you would think that's the purpose of life. Um, buy more stuff and that's what will give your life meaning. But we know that uh, there's more to it that we just have this sense that our life is to have a greater purpose than just being a consumer in the world, that we, um, we are called to make a, an impact in the world in a positive way. Uh, and it's interesting in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right off at the very beginning, he gives the Beatitudes that Ted shared last week and did a great job. And then he talks about being salt and light. And this is really about calling us to a life of purpose, a life that, that makes an impact, uh, that... Uh, that, uh, and, and this impact is not only earthly and temporary, but in the eternal order of the kingdom, uh, we shine that light in, in this world. And we uh, are to bring, uh, in, in a way that has power, the glory of God's eternal kingdom to the world and make an impact, make a difference. And that's true for all of his followers. Uh, and it's important to note that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is not a general sermon 
given to lost people, that this is very much targeted and focused on his disciples, his followers, on how they are to be making a difference in the world. Uh, and, and he says that we are salt and light, but not just that we are salt and light. He says you are the salt of the earth. Right? You are to make an impact and a difference in, in the earth. You are the light of the world. So you, Jesus says, you as my disciples are to make an impact in the world. In the world. So let's see how we, how we are to do that, how this is to work for us uh, as Christ's followers. Um, he says, you, you are, as I said, you are the salt of the earth. Two kind of parallel statements. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So what, what is salt? Uh, salt has many functions. Uh, and in uh, probably more functions back in the uh, ancient times than maybe how we use salt now. Uh, they would use it to sterilize things. They would use it as a disinfectant. Um, you know, if you fall down and scrape your knee back in those days, they would actually rub salt in your wound. Well, that's lovely. Um, we may not do that nowadays, but uh, certainly it has a lot of purposes. And probably the most common would be its flavor and its, its, its uh, ability to preserve food. Now, Jesus doesn't say what of those functions he's thinking of here. Um, probably maybe all of them. And so, uh, commentators will argue and they'll make a case for theirs. But probably he's talking about all the purposes of salt. Salt is very useful. It's helpful. It does make a difference, right? Um, and, and the idea is that, of course, as flavor, it has a distinct flavor. Our food would be, would be not very good without salt. Um, if, you, if you don't believe that, just try cooking without any salt for about a week. I'm telling you, you're going to appreciate, appreciate the value that salt brings to food and to flavor things. Um, and of course, in a day in, in Jesus' day when they didn't have refrigerators or freezers, uh, the preserving function of salt was extremely important. Um, they would salt the fish, and if the fish was dried and salted, it would last a long time. Uh, if they did not do that, it would not last very long. So it was very important to uh, their their society, their economy, and their culture to make uh, to preserve food. So the idea is that uh, that that salt has a quality that makes everything it comes in contact with better and more enduring. And that's really what we are to be as, as Jesus' disciples. We are to make a difference in the world by making everything we come in contact with better and more enduring. Uh, then Jesus also talks about being light. Uh, there really is nothing like light. Uh, it is pure. And, and there's, there's no option at all to mix light with something else, right? Mix, light, light can't be mixed. Like, yeah, I like to take some uh, part of uh, light, I'm going to mix it with some water, and I'm going to make light water. It just it doesn't work. It's impossible. Of course, light can go through water. It can radiate water, but you can't mix it, right? It's pure. And, uh, and, it's, and, and light as such, uh, it can't be mixed with darkness. It dispels all the darkness. Uh, any place light enters darkness flees and and it it also has many functions it enables people to see to find their way around to do our work and to enjoy enjoy the world we live in but it's also very life-giving uh we know plants can't live without light and i'm not sure but i think i'm not sure that we can live without light either i'm not sure about the science of that but uh but we need we need it for for life and uh certainly you know through the process of photosynthesis plants turn into food that we eat. So in many ways, light is life. It is life. And it's life-giving. Uh, so the same way, we are to be the light of the world. We are to show 
people the way. We are to be illuminating and revealing God and His purpose and His plan so that people can find their path in the darkness. Uh, so that the darkness of error and, and, and heresy and falseness is, is dispelled and people see clearly who God is and what His plan and purpose for them is. Um, uh, we are to reveal the truth of God and who He is in His holiness and purity. And ultimately, uh, the light uh, is the, the life-giving light and saving light of Jesus. Right? The light is the gospel. It is the saving work that God has done through Christ for all people. And, uh, and so we are, the, we, we are the ones who shine that message, uh, who reveal it to people around us. Uh, another an interesting feature of light is he says, um, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And in, if you've been to Israel or Palestine, that area, uh, for a lot of reasons, they, they built their cities on mountaintops, mostly because they were more defensible from an enemy. Uh, and so when you would travel uh, on the roads, uh, you would see from quite a distance a city sitting up on a hill. And especially if you were traveling at night, and even though they didn't have electricity, uh, and, and most people used oil lamps or torches, you get enough of those oil candles, oil burners and torches lit up, and it would light up the sky. And so they were visible from a long way away. And what's significant about this is a lot of times we think of being salt and light as kind of an individual thing. And it's true, we individually are salt and light. Uh, and Jesus is talking here to individual disciples, certainly. Uh, but... What's, what's cool is that it's the combined light of all of us together that really makes us a city on a hill. Um, you're on a mountaintop with your one little candle. Uh, you're not going to put off much light. But together as the body of Christ, we shine and radiate uh, God's goodness in a way that people can see. Um, and uh, I think significant in that, when we start thinking about what salt and light is, um, the relationships we have within the body of Christ are important. Uh, Jesus said, They shall know you are, you are my true disciples by your love for one another. And so part of how we reflect God's uh, truth is our relationships with each other as the body of Christ. Uh, we cannot be Lone Ranger Christians. Uh, part of our light being effective is that we uh, are in community and relationship with each other as people who share life and need each other. And the way we love and care for each other in the body of Christ is part of our witness. It's part of our light. In fact, John prayed for that. In John 17, he said, I pray that uh, you would make them one, my followers, that you would make them one as I and the Father are one. Because in this they will know that you sent me. Right? So it's important that uh, when we talk about being salt and light, the focus is certainly being salt and light to the world. But part of how we are light is by how we relate to each other as the body of Christ. Um, now what's significant about uh, this uh, being salt and light, this picture, this imagery, is that um, the emphasis here is that being salt and light has a lot to do with what you are as a person. Right? You are salt and you are light. This is not something you, uh, it's not something you put on. It's not something that you... You uh, try to have a image. It's really what you are in the depth of your being. That's the way salt and light are. Salt and light are unique because they have inherent qualities that distinguish, the, distinguish them from everything else. Uh, salt may look like sugar, 
But one quick taste and you'll know the difference, right? I remember my kids one time were making, when they were little, were, were making, uh, I think, pumpkin bread or something, or zucchini bread, and they confused the salt and the sugar, and uh, they put uh, three cups of salt in instead of three cups of sugar. I'm telling you, you could tell the difference, right? Yeah. Um, it has a quality about it, a flavor, a nature that makes it what it is, uh, right? And, and uh, salt is preserving, sugar is not. Uh, just ask your dentist. He'll tell you that sugar is not preserving your teeth, right? Uh, you can't substitute one for the other. There's something unique about what it is. Uh, light is, um, is unique. Light is not an attempt to copy something else. There's nothing like it to copy. And its very unique nature and properties are make it what it is. And what Jesus is saying here is you as a person, as a follower of Christ, it matters who you are. It matters the character of your life and the qualities that make up who you are as a person. Right? That is what distinguishes you from the world. So a, a disciple should be one who is somehow different in their being from the world around them. And if we're not, then we cannot be salt and light. Uh, so what are these characteristics? What is it that distinguishes us and makes us unique? Um, well, it's not simply externals or appearances, right? In fact, a little bit later, the next week, we're going to see that Jesus says, your righteousness, your quality of life, must exceed, must be greater than that of the Pharisees. And if you lived in Jesus' day, that would become as kind of a shock because the Pharisees were upheld as kind of the model of morality. Like if you wanted to be a good person, you would uphold the Pharisees as, as an example. And Jesus said, Nope, that's not it. Right? And the problem is too much of their life was, was fashioned after external appearances. Right? They were all about putting on a good show. Uh, when I first came to Christ, uh, the church where I went uh, had many good things about it, and they really helped me uh, come to know Christ. Uh, but I think they were a little confused on this one. And I don't know if they actually taught this, but it's what I heard. It's what, as I sat there week after week, it's kind of how I got impressed that that the goal of being different, of being distinct and unique, was all a matter of how you looked. And, uh, of course, I, I'm old. And this is back in the 60s. Some of you who read books about the 60s, <laughs> some of you lived through it, will know that, like, in the 60s, it was really all about having long hair and beards, and then there was this look to being kind of a hippie. And so I thought that was cool, so that's what I was. But this church was like, no, that's of the devil, Right? <laughs> If you are a true follower of Christ, you have short hair, like really short hair. Not because you lost it, but because you actually <laughs> cut it that short on purpose. And, um, and, and if, you, if you have a beard, you are clearly a follower of Satan, right? And it was all about these externals, and you had to dress a certain way, uh, mainly in a, in a suit, preferably a three-piece suit, and you had to wear the right kinds of shoes, and you had to look like this, what they pictured being a Christian. Um, I, I didn't really like their teaching on that, and so I left the church, um, went to a different church. Because uh, I read the Bible, and it's like, well, you know, the Bible said Jesus had a beard. Like, like, and like one of the greatest, like, the things they were like, against, like, dancing, you know? It's like, well, the Bible, in the Old Testament, they danced. Like, I, so I, I, was, I was confused. Um, but it's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about, just an outward appearance, putting on some kind of show or performance to look like something that's not real, right? 
What Jesus was talking about was a life that had been transformed and changed from the inside out. And actually, he's just described in the Beatitudes what a lot of these things look like, right? The Beatitudes are these characteristics or qualities that should be true of us as his followers. We should be a people who are poor in spirit and who mourn. And as Ted shared last week, that means we have a desperate hunger and recognize our our great need for God. That we don't come as something altogether that's that's got something God needs. We are poor spiritually, broken, in desperate need of Him. Uh, So we are humble. We are meek. Uh, There is within us a a meekness that is not proud and arrogant. There should be a very uh, characteristic of us that we do have great strength, but that strength is under control. And it's not used to bully people. It's meek. It's gentle. Uh, there is a hunger for, what is, for doing what is right. A hunger for righteousness. Righteousness just simply means doing the right thing. And, and doing the right thing is not just doing the good thing. Doing the right thing means doing always the best thing. Uh, I could preach a whole sermon on it, but I won't. But we're hung, we have a hunger for righteousness. Uh, we show mercy. We love compassion for others. Uh, we are pure in heart, meaning our motives for doing good are not self-seeking, but God's glory and the good of others. We are peacemakers in the world. And the result of this is that we stand out and that our conduct may cause us people to hate us. Right? They may, may cause persecution. Uh, but the cause is because of real things in our life that irritate people. Uh, we are good. We are righteous. We are, we are loving and caring. Um, uh, Paul talks about the same things in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Right? The idea is that these are qualities that shape who we are as a person. It's not an outward act or show, but it, it comes from the very depth of our being. Uh, and these ultimately are essential qualities that make us like Jesus. And of course, Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, we don't shine our own light. What we shine is the light of Christ. And so our life should be conformed to His likeness. We should be, in a sense, little Jesus on the earth. Our life should reflect His character, His heart, and His priorities in all that we are. But not only is, is uh, being salt and light a matter of, of what we are, but it is also a matter of what we do. But He says, Let your light so shine before others. Uh, that they may see your good works. Okay, being salt and light is also doing things. Uh, it is good works or good deeds. It is the way you live your life. It involves actions, uh, doing the same kinds of things that Jesus did. Well, at least some of them. Uh, granted, Jesus raised people from the dead. I, I haven't been successful with that one yet. Uh, Jesus healed a lot of people. I've been uh, limited in my success in that. Uh, but, but what Jesus did is he showed compassion for people. And we should show compassion. We should come alongside and be willing to help others as Jesus did. And so good deeds are the ways that we serve others, the way we help them, the way we demonstrate love and kindness in tangible, visible action. Right? Not just that we say, oh... Uh, Go be warmed and filled. God bless you. No, we do something real to help people with needs. We give generously to others. 
And we show mercy to those around us who are in need and who are hurting. Um, And as those who are pure in heart, we do it with pure motives to give God glory and and to, uh, to truly benefit others, not to benefit ourselves. Or simply to make converts. Like this doesn't work. It'd be like, well, I'm going to do good things to help you just so you'll convert to Jesus. People, people see through that, right? They know our motives. We need to do it because we actually care for them regardless of what they do with our message. That we have genuine uh, compassion for them. Last thing we need to say about salt and light is that it is possible to lose it. Okay, these are ultimately uh, things that we don't create ourselves. It's something God works in us. Right? It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of my own effort. Uh, it's something that God does by His transforming work through Christ. But we can do something to lose it. Um, he says, if, if uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, for most of us, it seems, this seems kind of absurd if salt lost its flavor, it actually wouldn't be salt, it would be air, right? Um, and so it's kind of hard for us to ex- uh, imagine what, what this means. Um, how, how is it possible that it can lose its flavor? Well, in Jesus' time, salt was not the same thing that we buy at the grocery store nowadays. Uh, they mostly, in Israel, uh, harvested their salt at the Dead Sea. And uh, it wasn't pure, uh, it, it had a lot of other minerals in it. And because they couldn't just buy it at the grocery store, they would take their wheelbarrows down or their carts, and they would load up a whole pile of it, a cart of it, that would last them maybe, maybe a year, or two years, or three years. They'd bring it home, and they put it out in the backyard somewhere. And if it was in a place where it would get rained on, uh, what happens when salt gets wet? It dissolves, right? So over time... The salt, the, the actual salt and, and all those other minerals would dissolve out. And what you end up with is a, a chalky residue, right? Just imagine chalkboard chalk, you know. That's kind of what you end up with left over. Wouldn't that be good on your roast beef sandwich? Right? No, no, right? It loses its saltiness. The salt is all dissolved out and what's left is not very appetizing. It's not preservative. It has no function or, or use, and so Jesus said, all it's good for is to throw out and trample under feet. It's worthless, right? It has no function or purpose anymore. If we want a life that is going to make an impact in the world, we cannot afford to lose the salt of our life. Uh, we can't afford to become tasteless and to have no uh, effectiveness in the world. So how do we do that? How, do, how does salt lose its saltiness in our life? Well, it comes about because we allow uh, attitudes and actions of the world to control us rather than the attitudes and actions of Christ. Right? Uh, Paul put it this way, we live by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. And we all know how this works, right? We all know what happens when uh, somebody uh, does something to us that uh, our first instinct is, is anger, Right? That's the flesh. And if we let the flesh have its way, we start, we, we, start, we say something, or we gesture, or we, or we get in somebody's face, right? We respond in the flesh, and it's not salt. It's not life. It's, it's not Jesus. Uh, and so we are not being salt and light. Instead, Paul says we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
And we are to live by the power of the Spirit so that when we respond, we respond as Jesus would, in patience and kindness and grace. Um, it is possible for us to be redeemed from sin, but to go back to that life of sin. right? To walk in the habits and lifestyle of our old life of sinfulness. And if we do that, we are losing our saltiness. right? We are not showing God for who He is. We are being just like the world. And so there's nothing that distinguishes our life and makes us different. And we've lost our saltiness. And, and Jesus said our life has become worthless. Worthless. Right? So it's important. We don't want to fail uh, to, to be and to do the things that Christ called us to. So that's what salt and light is. And that's what we are to be. Uh, but, but that's not the end of the story. And in addition, um, Jesus makes it very clear that we're not just to be these things, but that we're to be these things in a very highly visible way. Highly visible, right? He says, you are, the, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You're not supposed to hide your life away. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. That would be kind of self-defeating, right? It's like we, we turn on the lights and then we cover all the lights with dark paper. <laughs> what would be the point of that, right? He says, no, you, you put the lamp on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. He says, you, you need to put the lamp in a place where it's elevated and up and highly visible. You put it out there where everybody can see it. And the reality is that it is possible to be living the kind of life where we are serious about seeing the character of Christ developed in us. Where we are serious about having these godly attitudes that, um, that make us Christ-like. But it is also possible to do that in such a way that we live private and isolated lives. Where we cut ourselves off from the unsaved world. And we effectively hide our light under a basket. It's a great temptation for us to do all of life within the walls of the church or within the community of the body of Christ. Um, and of course, for, for, for Jesus, he knew that, that persecution would come. In fact, he just talked about it in the Beatitudes, right? And so the temptation is, well, if, if people are going to throw stuff at me, I'll just hide. Right? We'll, just, we'll just stay indoors and we'll just be our Christians in our little secret corner so that uh, they don't hate us, so they don't persecute us. But Jesus said, no, that's not the purpose. You cannot be salt and light and put it under a, lamp, a basket. You need to live life in a way that is out there, even if it means persecution. You do not mind your own business. You do not keep to yourselves. You do not create a holy huddle. Right? You get out there and you put your life out where the world can see it. Uh, you are a city on a hill. And you need to be living your life with high visibility, putting yourself on the lampstand where everyone can see it. And now some people, and in fact we'll see next week, that, uh, or in the weeks to come, that Jesus actually criticizes the Pharisees for this very kind of thing. Like, isn't Jesus being kind of contradictory here? He tells the Pharisees to stop showing off, stop, stop displaying their righteousness in public. But here he says we're supposed to display our righteousness in public. Is Jesus confused? Well, uh, no. And there's two problems with the Pharisees. One, as we said, their righteousness was external. It was just a show. Right? So that was part of the problem. What he's asking us to do is not put on a show, but to be real. But he's asking us to be real in a public way. 
second problem with the Pharisees is they were not pure of heart. Their motive or goal was, was their own glory. We are to do it for God's glory. We are to be pure of heart. And part of being salt and light is having that attitude and doing it in a way that, um, that, that we are seeking God's glory. So we're not out there putting a show. In fact, we know that if we do this well and right, it will bring persecution. Right? The world will, there are some in the world who, who will hate what we are and they will persecute us. So we're not seeking ourselves. We're not seeking our glory. We're seeking God's. So how do you do this? How do we make ourselves more visible? Um, well, I believe, first and foremost, it means having intentional relationships with lost people. One of the great dangers of becoming Christians and getting plugged into the church is that we isolate ourselves from relationships with the outside world. It is so easy to do this. Um, we, we turn more and more to this community, which we should, for support and encouragement, uh, but we forget to go back out into the world to be salt and light. Um, we have to be intentional about developing relationships outside of our church family. Now, this is easy in some contexts. If you live in a very rural village somewhere, uh, th- this is quite natural and easy. You just show up in the village and you, you live there and you get noticed, especially if, if you're a foreigner living, for example, in a Thai village. Uh, when I first um, uh, was called to do church planting, uh, it was not here in Thailand, it was in the United States, and we went to this very rural community in southwest Colorado to this town of 800 people. And uh, I went there to start a church, and so we were there, and I, I remember I wasn't there very long. I had just really met a very small handful of people. But almost every day when, I would, when I'd be in town, people would say, Hi, Tim! Hi, <gasps> Are you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, how, how, do you, how, do, how do you know me? Well, you're that new preacher. Like, like everybody knew me, right? I couldn't hide, right? Just, just being there, everybody knew me instantly, right? It's easy in a rural setting like that and, and uh, very visible life. Uh, but for, for many of us who are living in um, a more urban setting, uh, urban settings, tend, people tend to be more invisible, Right, uh, our neighborhoods are often private and not communal. People uh, uh, go from their house to their car. They rush out to their job. They come back to their house. They hide in their four walls. It's hard sometimes to be visible in a more urban setting. So how do you do that? Well, here's some ideas. I, I don't know, but here's just some suggestions. Uh, you need to connect with community. So maybe it means moving uh, uh, into a more community-oriented neighborhood. And there are those in the city, right? Uh, maybe you decide, I'm going to not live in a, uh, such a private place, but I'm going to find a community where it just is more visible. Move and live there. Um, that, that may not work for you, uh, but uh, Thailand loves clubs. They love clubs. And, and it's how Thai people create communities, not because of where they live, but because they share a, a common uh, hobby or activity. And if you've ever seen like around like these bike clubs, bicycle clubs, and they've all got the cute little matching jerseys, they're all riding along together, join one of those, right? Try to keep up with them. And uh, great opportunity to uh, connect, right? To build ongoing relationships. 
And there's all kinds of other clubs. Maybe you're into motorcycles. They have motorcycle clubs. Maybe you're into four-wheel, four-wheel Jeeps. They have those, right? They're around. Plug into one of those, right? It'll be awesome. You'll be the only foreigner there, and they will love you, and they won't be able to communicate anything, but you'll, you, get, you get to know them, right? You build a relationship. Uh, go back to school, right? Go to college or, uh, or get in, involved with uh, your kid's school if it's a, if it's a, a, a school where there's not, uh, not all Christians, right? Um, we do this corporately with our ministries and organizations, oftentimes by um, joining with non-Christians, okay, not just Christians, like just partnering with other ministries, but find ways to partner with non-Christian groups and organizations who have a similar burden to solve a social problem that you work on, like anti-human trafficking or abortion or teen pregnancy, right? So often we focus just on Christian ministries. Why? Well, because we don't want to work with unsaved people. <gasps> like we're just going to keep our light under a bushel. Let's not get it out there where it could be seen. Um, We've seen that happen in so many ways with uh, the Family Connection Foundation. I don't have time to go into stories, but I have lots. Uh, where uh, through our work, we have come in regular contact with others doing the similar thing. Uh, we need to create relationships, right? Maybe for you it means simply hiring a non-Christian Mayban, right? Somebody who's not a believer. And we all, you know, we like to have a Christian made bond, but what if you hired somebody intentionally who's not a believer so you can be salt and light to them and their family? Uh, go to the same local restaurants, like local restaurants, those little hole-in-the-wall shops and coffee shops, and get to know the staff and build relationship with them, right? These are all practical ways that we can uh, be salt and light. Um, in addition to that, we also uh, need to be intentional about how we help and serve Thai people, right? This is, this, is easy. this is easy. Now, I know how some of it is like, I am an introvert. Anybody else here an introvert? Probably a lot of you are. Like, making relationships is like the bottom of my list. Like, like my priority in life is avoiding relationships. That's the whole point, right? And so I understand that for some of us, this is stretching, right? It is for me, personally. And so maybe uh, going out there and joining a, a, a bicycle club is like next to, you know, like having honey poured on your body with red ants or something. Um, I understand that, right? Um, but we've we got to be salt and light, right? So, so another way you can do this is by finding ways to help and serve. And the great thing is oftentimes helping and serving, you don't have to use a lot of words. So for those of you who are introverts who don't have anything to say, this is a way you can do this, Right? Um, how can you do that? Well, every community has a Puyai Ban. If you don't know who he is, you should find out who he is. Go to him and say, you know, I'm a foreigner living here, and I would like to help this community. And oftentimes they have, uh, you know, community events, trash pickup days or paint the neighborhood days or plant flower days. What an awesome thing if we said, I'd like to, I'd like to help, right? I'd like to show up and be part of that. You can go serve. Uh, um, I know a few years ago, just the, the power of serving. Uh, a few years ago, when uh, Ram, King Rama the Ninth died, I remember they had uh, these in every province. They had a kind of a tribute ceremony where they came and sang the King's song, and they had one here at Rochaprook. And we got kind of conscripted to forced labor for that event. Uh, our whole foundation. We had to show up with. 
50 people to help. And our job was passing out water and picking up trash. So we all jumped in and we served, right? And we passed out water and we picked up trash. And there were uh, something like 40,000 people that came that day. There was a lot of trash. And uh, I, saw, I started to see what was going to happen. I started seeing the trash cans getting full. And I could just imagine these trash cans just overflowing with trash. We were going to be spending the next three days picking up trash. So I said, we've got to get on this. We've got to start emptying these trash cans. And, and this, this was actually not pure apart. This was very self-serving. I'm thinking, I don't want to be here until 4 o'clock in the morning. So we're racing around with trash bags, pulling out trash and replacing trash bags and depositing it. And, and I cannot tell you that night how many Thai people I had come up to me, some of them with tears in their eyes, saying, thank you for serving us. Right? They, they were so moved just because I emptied trash cans. But it was powerful. Find ways to serve. Uh, Find a poor neighborhood you can go reach out and and start a kids club or give out used clothes or have a weekly meal for them. Uh, Find needy children who are at risk of dropping out of school. We have a a program for this called Education Matters where we scholarship kids. And, And the point is we help kids stay in school, but also we tell the kids, we'll help you go to school, but you have to have a mentor. And we're going to come visit you all the time, right? And it's like an excuse. It's like we have to show up in their house. And they know it. So they're, they're like, well, great. Come on in, right? And, and you have this natural thing to build relationship. Because I gave them a few hundred baht to help their kid go to school, right? It's easy. It's easy. And you may say, well, I don't speak Thai very good. I'm telling you, if you show up, give in the money, they'll let you in, right? And they'll work it out. You'll work it out. Um, there's all kinds of needy children. Uh, foster a child. If you don't know how to do that, talk to me. I'll, I'll line you up. I have children ready for your house right now. Well, not right now. but um, Great way right, to, to share Christ, to be salt and light to a lost high person. Right? Um, bottom line, you need to pray you know, and ask how God would lead you to be salt and light. Um, it doesn't matter how godly you are if you are hiding it in a closet, right? Thailand, we all know this, Thailand is over 99% lost. It is a desperate need here for salt and light. Are we really getting it out there? Are we really living our life shining Christ around us? Let me close with this last thought. Um... Uh, we, we are called to proclaim Christ. And um, so uh, maybe you've heard this slogan, St. Francis of Assisi is, I don't know if you really said this, but it's attributed to him, preach Christ always, if necessary, use words. Uh, meaning, make sure your life is preaching the gospel. Now some people, maybe some of you, have taken great offense at this, at this phrase, and I know there's a lot of Christians who, who blast this phrase of, of St. Francis, saying... You know, that's just an excuse to not be verbally proclaiming the gospel. And so they've kind of reacted against that and said, well, forget that. No, you need to be out there preaching the message. We have to verbally speak Christ. And I would say that that is true. Uh, we need, the, the message must be spoken. Right? It is super important that we are telling people who God is and what Jesus has done for them and why he is the only way of salvation. 
Okay, it's a message that, that they need to hear. Um, in fact, in Thailand, uh, they, they tell us that um, on average, a Thai person needs to hear the gospel seven to eight times before they really understand it. So we need to be speaking in not just once, but over and over. And we need to have enough relationship that we get seven or eight times uh, a chance, seven or eight times to share that message. Um, but um, because, just because the message has to be spoken doesn't mean we should do uh, hit-and-run evangelism or that we only do hit-and-run evangelism. You know what I mean by hit-and-run evangelism? It's where you know, we meet somebody, we corner somebody we don't know. Did you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life? Uh, you're going to hell, and so if you get Jesus, you're going to die. And so, so here's Jesus. Boom, you're good. And go after the next person, right? Hit and run. They just got run over by the gospel. They're like, ah, right? I know a lot of people that that's their approach to evangelism. Uh, and that's what it is. And they're like, well, I did my thing. I told them. I told them. If they're going to hell, it's not my fault. Right? Well, awesome, awesome. And, you know, God is big, and God, God uses that. Uh, certainly, he can use anything. Uh, he used a donkey. He can he can use that. Um, uh, um, but but what Jesus is saying here is not that. Right? Jesus is not go, saying go out there and be a hit and run evangelist, run them over with the gospel, machine gun them with the gospel. No, he's saying he's saying be salt and light, right? Let your light so shine before the world that they might see your good works, that they would know something about the character of your life, and it would communicate to them what the kingdom is. Um, and the truth is that uh, the, the message that doesn't come from a life that they, that they trust, and where they've seen that it's not just empty words, but that that message has been put into your life, and you're living it out, the words are... are to, to lost Thai Buddhists, meaningless, meaningless, empty, right? Uh, they need to see it lived out in our life. They need to see that our life is unique and distinct and different from everything else they've seen. They need to see that in their world, nobody serves, but Christians serve. Right? In their world, nobody just gives sacrificially without getting something back. But Christians give and they don't want anything back. What is that? Right? And, and it gives them... It is salt that gives them a thirst for the word, for the water of life. They want to know. And so then when we share the message, it's backed up by a life that is consistently displaying the gospel in our attitudes and actions. And there really is great power when a person who models kingdom life tells people how they can enter the kingdom and come to know the king. Right? And, and the thing is, uh, that is what Jesus did. Right? That is what the incarnation is about. The Word of God, the message of God, became flesh. They took on human life. As John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, Jesus lived it out. He was the message. He also proclaimed the message very clearly. But he was the message. His whole life was the message. As Hebrews 1 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things. Right? And he spoke just not through Jesus' words, but through his whole life, through the cross, through the resurrection. And, and the goal of all this, the end goal is not our glory. The end goal is not even feeling good about ourselves because we've made an impact and difference in the world. He says that, that when they see your good works, they will, the, people, the lost people around us, will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? In other words, this works. <laughs> Jesus says if you are salt and light and you let your light shine, it will make an impact. And those who see your life will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And they will be drawn to the kingdom and to the king. We give honor and worship and glory to God. And by being salt and light, we invite others. And we draw others in to do the same. Right? Uh, let's bow in prayer. And as we do, I think, I think it would be very fitting just to ask the Holy Spirit, ask God right now to... Uh, to give you some ideas like, okay, God, I want to be salt and light. I want my light to be more visible. How can I do that? Right? How can I engage in more intentional relationships? How can I be more connected with people in my community so that I can be your salt and light? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.